Let us pray together. By the power of your Holy Spirit, dear God, draw each of us more fully into your story. The story with the risen Jesus at its very center. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Three weeks ago during Holy Week, we looked and lived through the events surrounding the terrible execution of Jesus on the cross. And during those events, we saw a community of Jesus' followers in rapid freefall and in disintegration. In spite of all of their claims that they would stand with Jesus to the very end. Remember Peter saying that? In spite of this, all of them except for a very small group of brave women, all of them end up betraying and denying and abandoning Jesus, their teacher. And that week, we see them hiding behind closed doors. And during that time, it's not hard to imagine their profound disillusionment with each other and their deep disappointment in themselves. But yet, the amazing thing is that in the decades that follow these events, we see the Jesus movement not only brought back to life, but suddenly spreading like wildfire around the whole perimeter of the Mediterranean Sea, down into Africa, and over all the way to India. And so, we have to ask, what happened to bring this movement not only back to life, but to send it outward suddenly with such propulsive power? The answer, dear friends, I believe begins in the deeply personal and healing encounters that Jesus has with his followers after his resurrection. Like the one that he had with Mary Magdalene two Sundays ago in the garden. Like the one that we heard that he had last Sunday with Thomas. Remember? Touch my side. And like the one that he has today with Peter. When he says, Simon, do you love me? Encounters where the risen Jesus ministers to each of them. And I dare say to each of us at our place of deepest need and brokenness. So dear friends, what is that place in you this morning? What is that place in us? 
Our story today opens with Peter and the six disciples piling into their boat for a night of fishing out on the Sea of Galilee. You know, you can't blame these guys. I mean, after living through the anguish of Jesus' execution, the trauma of His death, and then the disorienting euphoria of His resurrection, an event without parallel, what do they do but come home to Galilee for the familiar activities and reassuring routines of their old lives? You know, stuff like the bobbing of their boat on the water. The art of a well-thrown net. And the knowledge that the very best fishing happens after the sun goes down. But then at dawn, after catching absolutely nothing, a mysterious figure shows up on the shoreline, and tells them to cast their nets to the other side. And this is where I always imagine that the guys in the boat exchange words, derisive words about people who stand on dry land and give advice to people fishing in boats, especially sons of carpenters. But they're desperate, they're hangry, And so they throw their net to the other side, as instructed, and soon they're hauling in an astonishing catch. Count them, 153, not two, not four, 153 fish. Somebody counted them. And this is when one of the people, one of the disciples in the boat shouts out, It's the Lord! And our dear Peter, fishing naked, I don't recommend it, pulls on his clothes, throws himself now over the side, and swims to Jesus. And when he gets there, he finds Jesus tending a charcoal fire. There's only one other charcoal fire in the whole life story of Jesus, and it's the charcoal fire that Peter has been trying to forget ever since. The one in the high priest's courtyard. Oh my God where Peter is warming himself while Jesus is being mocked and questioned. It's the charcoal fire where Peter vehemently denies knowing Jesus. I don't know Him. He says three times, I am not His disciple. And the sound now of Jesus' voice suddenly jolts Peter back to the present. And Jesus says to all of them, come and have breakfast. 
And as Jesus breaks bread and shares it with them, they must surely flash back to their last supper with Him. And then because of the grilled fish, they must flash back to His earlier feeding of the 5,000 right along this same shoreline. And by now, no one is asking who He is. And then it's after breakfast. By this charcoal fire that our Lord now ministers one-on-one to Peter in what has to be one of the most tender scenes in all of Scripture. And Peter here becomes a symbol for how Jesus desires to heal and transform us as well. And so Jesus begins, Simon, do you love me? Jesus asks him this same haunting question three times, taking Peter back to his threefold denial, back to the terrible night that turned him into a weeping and broken man, back to the night when he promised to lay down his life for Jesus, Jesus, and then ended up denying him three times. And in agonized, Peter then responds three times, Lord, you know I love you. And you have to wonder now if he's waiting for Jesus' well-deserved condemnation and rebuke. But it's been said that our Lord's grace is what we receive when we need it the most and deserve it the least. Let me say that again. Our Lord's grace is what we receive when we need it the most and deserve it the least. Just ask Peter. And now instead of rebuking Peter, Jesus tells him three times, three healing times, feed my sheep. And I believe in these words buried in them, Peter's denial is fully named fully faced, and fully forgiven. Today, Jesus not only offers Peter bread and grilled fish, but a restored past and a new mission for the future. And this is why folks like Peter and Mary and Thomas now become such passionate witnesses of our Lord's amazing grace. It is because they have so personally experienced it themselves. 
reconciled to Jesus, they now go out to reconcile others with the same abandon. And here we feel the propulsive power of the mission of God propelling us out toward each other, toward our neighbors, toward the whole world. And what is our mission? Our mission is reconciliation. The reconciliation of all things and all peoples to God, to each other, and to all of creation. Or as Palmer Becker is going to tell us, the author in a couple Sundays, reconciliation is at the center of our work. Dear friends, in this Easter season, we are celebrating not only the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, but also the resurrection of His community of followers. As the risen Jesus calls each of them by name, Mary, Thomas, Simon, we see a crushed and disappointed and failed community, much like ours, transformed into a reconciled and reconciling community. A community no longer centered in their own goodness and worthiness. That illusion died. But a community now centered in the reconciling grace of Jesus. Amen.